This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I am your disabled dandy. I am your disabled dreamboat, Andrew Gerza, here to shine a bright light on sex and disability with you. Let's get started. Before we jump into the episode topic today, I wanted to ask a favor of you listening. I wanted to see if somebody out there would want to help me do some research for the episodes I produce, finding the topics that I bring to the to the podcast, whether I do it with myself or with a guest, can sometimes be really hard, and I know there are other people with other perspectives, and so I'm wondering if somebody out there who listens to the show wants to come on and... and volunteer to be my, um, to be like an an intern type person, colleague, I guess you could say intern sounds weird, but colleague sounds okay, if you want to be a colleague of mine and help me create more shows and better shows and help me form ideas and and form, um, (laughs) cool things to say on the show, stuff like that, um, if you have guests I should reach out to, so if you want to work with me on a weekly basis to build this show up, send an email with your ideas to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and I'd love to hear from you. Just throwing it out there because I want this show to go on forever and I need some help. And now, on to the show. This one is a super doozy. Uh, This one I recorded with somebody who I've been following for a while now but never actually got the chance to speak to and who writes issues around, who writes on issues around disabilities, particularly around the body and disability and her experience as a female-bodied person with disabilities. And she, her name is Kayla Willie, and she was on my Twitter feed for years, but we never actually, like, properly followed each other. And now we do, and I, she wrote an article that I was floored to read, that I fell in love with, and that I wanted to have on the show immediately. She wrote an article for Catapult last month entitled... After losing the ability to eat solid food, I had lost 20 pounds. Did I want to lose more? In this article, she talks a bunch about body image and disability and her feelings around it, and I wanted to bring her on Disability After Dark to not so much talk about sexuality, but to talk about disability and body image in a more nuanced way. And this this article 
which I'll put in the show notes for you to read because it's so important, is so such a beautiful way to craft disability and body image that I had to have her on. So we talk a little bit about everything, about the article, about sexuality, about you know the disabled body in general, about disabled writing and literature. We give shout-outs to some people that we follow and are in love with in the disability community. There's a lot to unpack here, and the, the interview goes on for about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, it's a really important interview that I'm glad that I got to do. And without further ado, here's my interview with Kayla Willey, right here on Disability After Dark. Kayla Willey, how are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to have you on because I've been, like I just said to you, three seconds ago before I hit record, I've been following your stuff now for a couple years. Um, Oh my God. And that makes me just excited. I love people who write like I write and you you write like I like you be like your latest piece which we'll get into way deeper in a minute but it was like listening to your best friend tell you a story and I was like this is the this is so good so oh my gosh that's so so incredibly like relieving and satisfying to hear (laughs) no like I love the whole your whole exposition and for the audience members pause right now and go find the piece that I'm talking about, which I'll tell you in a second, but just be ready for, <laughs> I'm really bad at this telling what the audience what to do. Anyway, you're awesome. <laughs> I love your stuff. And before we get too heavy into the piece that I want to go over with you, tell me who you are. Introduce yourself. Okay. Um, well, first of all, thank you again, because that's just, that was the sweetest way to start this possible. Um, and okay. So I'm Kayla Whaley. I am 28. Um, I live outside of Atlanta in one of the like suburbs um, where, you know, there's a fast food chain on every corner and all the houses look the same. Um, Of course. And of course, naturally Uh, I'm currently getting an MFA at the university of Tampa, but it's like a low residency program. So I only go twice a year for 10 days and then the rest is done from home, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, I'm an essayist. I mostly focus on disability, sexuality, queerness, um, things of that nature. Generally, just like I've been really into writing the body lately as well, like just as a genre almost. Um, so tell me about that. Yeah. What, like, what do you what do you mean when you say you want to like write the genre of the body? Uh, so, like for my program at school, in your third semester, we do a like a big critical essay where you tackle some element of craft or um, something like literary or whatever that you want to dig into deeper. And so I'm in the midst of working on that right now. Um, So it's just really been on my mind lately, but my essay is focusing on like ways of writing, like approaches to writing the marginalized body in particular um, and sort of looking at a couple of different examples of memoirs and also fiction um, of authors who've done that in really interesting ways. So, um, like I'm looking at the Argonauts by Maggie Nelson, which deals a lot with, um, it's not quite a memoir really. Like it's more, she calls it, um, a work of auto theory. So it's really heavily based and grounded in like theoretical frameworks that have come before her because she has a very academic background. Um, and it deals a lot with like gender and she was pregnant throughout the 
bulk of the story, the narrative of that book, while her partner, who's non-binary, was um, had a mastectomy and he had just started testosterone. So, like, there's a lot in there about gender and bodies. Um, sorry, I'm talking a lot about this. I didn't anticipate no, talking I, a lot I, about. No, my nerdy like nerdiness turns me on in so many different ways. Okay. So I'm sitting there being like, yeah, tell me more. Like, and because I think too, like, not to totally cut you off, but I think like we don't talk enough about we don't as disabled people together when we're sitting together in a room we don't get to like geek out over cool disability stuff that we do so i yeah. like just keep talking I can, like go ahead okay well uh well i'll tell you a little bit more then just because it's interesting to me and i think it's probably relevant to what we're going to talk about later but um so yeah that's one of the books i'm looking at i'm also looking at um her body and other parties by carmen maria machado um which is a collection of short fiction that won like every prize imaginable last year when it debuted um and rightfully so but so she deals a lot in like the surreal and um the uncanny and particularly in writing about women and queer women's sexuality and their bodies um so there's that and then the third one i'm looking at is called the face a time code by ruth ozeki which is really this tiny itty bitty like bite-sized delicacy of a book um that it's like sixteen thousand words it's itty itty bitty but she is a um she's a zen buddhist priest and she had this assignment to write an essay about her face so she decided to riff on um something that the buddha did and also something that this like harvard art professor does with her student um where the author rizosaki um stared at her face in a mirror for three hours and just recorded her observations of it. Um, and it's fascinating and I super recommend it. So anyways, yeah, the body has been a lot on my mind lately and like how to write the body and like what the concerns inherent in that are like, basically we all have bodies, right? Like you have to, by definition to be human, you have a body of some kind. And so everybody's like, really intimately familiar with the concept of a body and also with their own bodies in particular. So like navigating that sort of like terrain of familiarity, but also like disfamiliarity when it comes to like marginalized bodies and how we as a society conceive of them. Yep. It's just really fascinating to me. So I think we only understand the body from a very ableist viewpoint. So we mm -hmm. we understand the body and we understand there are bodies out there and that's all well and good and bodies, yeah, yeah. Until you say something like, oh, my body is disabled. And then all of a sudden, yep. you, are, you are no longer human anymore and you are no longer yeah. part of the discussion of the body because your body is somehow, somehow, not only is it less than, it's not even considered. Yeah, exactly. There's just... Yeah. Part of the reason why I'm actually not focusing like directly on disability in that particular essay that I'm working on is, well, partly because I focus on disability a lot anyway. So I kind of wanted to like let myself explore other areas of the body that are interesting to me for once. Um, but also it's just, that could be its own book. Like I could write an entire book on just that. Like, and could we I only write a book together is oh. my next question. Could we do a book Together. Listen, don't even tempt me because that would be amazing. Listen, but yeah, listen, I, <laughs> I'll write a book with you on the on the queer disabled body. Like, look, it's it's about fucking Legit, time we had one. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So yeah, 
I'm into it. We'll, we'll talk about that possibility off the air because I feel like that would be an amazing <laughs> opportunity. And oh my goodness, like that could be an anthology. Wow, we should seriously talk about that. Let's discuss. But I'm not saying it's happening. Um. Um. What was I gonna? Okay. So so. So, and before I go any further, your pronouns are? She, her. Just making sure. It sounds like one word when I said it fast like that, but you know what I mean. It sounds kind of like Shira, which is sort of awesome. That is kind of awesome. Right? I mean, 80s throwback. Um, see, this is what this podcast is. It's just me going off on a bunch of tangents with cool people. Um, <laughs> so, my first question is this. In your latest article which I fucking loved. It's called, I don't have it in front of me. So can you, what is it called? <laughs> I honestly don't remember the exact title um, because titles are my downfall and my weakness, but let me find it really and fast. It's called, like, I had lost, um, there it is. After losing the ability to eat solid food, I had lost 20 pounds. Did I want to lose more? Yeah. So in this piece, which is, really so good everybody needs to pause and go and find it because it's really so important especially if you're disabled and you deal with body image stop what you're doing right now pause this and go read it please and you should especially read it if you want to understand what we're going to be talking about through this whole interview so pause it and listen um but in the piece you talk about losing the ability to swallow as a result of your disability and how the nutritionist was suggesting you should lose more weight or you might want to lose more weight because you, because, you know, losing weight is the acceptable thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so that really drew me in that idea of, of him saying to you, Oh, and you want to lose some more weight, right? Just like it was off the cuff thing. How, how did that make you feel like, what was that experience of having a doctor? Not really like, it didn't sound like he was doing it to be mean, but it sounded like he wasn't yeah. supporting what you were saying. Yeah, it was, it was honestly, this really, really weird um, all around. Uh, so yeah, the background for that, just so people like, have a little bit of context for where I was coming from. Um, so yeah, I have spinal muscular atrophy, which is a form of muscular dystrophy. Um, long story short, my muscles are just weak all over and have been my whole life. Um, but they also get weaker over time. So I like, yeah, diseases. Um, but I had essentially like just overnight, like there were warning signs, but I didn't know to look for them. And so essentially overnight I lost the ability to swallow solid food and nobody knew what was going on. I didn't know this was a possibility. Um, overnight? So basically, yeah, I ate lunch fine. And then at dinner I was just like, something is wrong. Like I can't, I can't do this the way I've always been able to do this. Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, and probably that was a bit exacerbated by like just the anxiety of it. Like just not knowing what was happening probably made it a little bit more like intensely worse at the start. Um, but yeah, so it was like a month worth of a month's worth of like going to different doctors, them giving me like antibiotics or um, heart, like acid reflux medication or, trying to do various swallowing tests and they couldn't tell what was wrong. And because nobody that I was going to like had, had worked with anybody who had SMA or related disease like that. So they didn't know what to look for either. Um, so anyways, a month of this 
basically. And I had dropped like 20, 25 pounds, like, cause I just wasn't eating anything. Um, not anything substantial anyways. And so, yeah, we finally figured out, okay, this is what's going on. So good luck, figure out how to deal with it. Um, so I went to see a nutritionist because that's what one does when one suddenly can't eat food in the way that one has always eaten. Um, so yeah, I went to him and told him everything I just told you. And he said, the first thing he said after I gave my spiel was, so you, like, I'm assuming you want to lose some weight while we're at it. Um, which, yeah, was a little unexpected of a response. But it wasn't, again, it, like like you said, it wasn't malicious in any way. It was just, I genuinely think that in his profession, and perhaps this is just the clientele that he tends to have, like, that's always the goal for him. Like, people, I would guess most people come to him with that in mind, like, at least as a side goal, if not the goal, was how he like how the vibe he was giving me, like that that's just a part of his day-to-day job. Right. right. Um, and that he wasn't like thinking about the implications of, of that question. Um, but yeah, it was really weird, particularly because I had just said that I had just been like hospitalized overnight because of extreme dehydration and extreme like weight loss. And so, yeah, it was a lot to process um, in that moment but what I talk about in the essay is that I told him yes like definitely I absolutely want to lose some weight and I meant it and like that was a weird moment of like cognitive dissonance because I would never like if if a friend had told me that I would have been like honey like no like you deserve to be healthy you deserve to have like to have food to enjoy food and to and you like deserve to be you know you deserve whatever to weight you identify, are. yeah exactly you deserve to identify whatever weight you are and if you right. want to call and, yourself fat and that's empowering for you then great like that's then, what our social justice brain kind of tells us about that stuff but then when you get yeah. into like a medical view of it you're like oh yeah i guess i should right i guess like okay like the doctor said so i guess i guess okay yeah it was that, and like it was the idea of like a medical professional suggesting that would be a good course of action. But it was also more than that. I think like sort of a moment of reckoning with my own internalized fat phobia and my own internalized ableism, like around body image that I thought I had, if not worked through, certainly like made progress on in the recent years. Isn't it funny how we all think we've made progress on our, our own internalized ableism, and then one day something happens to you, and you're just like, "Oh no, I've made no progress. I'm nowhere closer to than I where I thought I yeah. was." Yeah, maybe it's like, "Oh, maybe I haven't made any progress at all, and I've just gotten a lot better at hiding it from myself." Like, um, yeah. So that was probably the like. It was just so many emotions, like in that moment, and then in the weeks after, but. Um, especially in that one moment. Cause my brain was saying that's a bad thing that he just asked you like, and you can intellectually break down almost instantly all the reasons that that is a bad thing that he just asked you like in this particular context and in society in general and in all the things that you believe about like social justice and about bodies and about like, like humanity, honestly. But at the same time, my brain is saying that and the rest of me is like, okay, but I do want that though. Like, so it was just this very weird tension inside of me, like intellectually and emotionally and like just 
yeah, it was a lot. So totally, totally. And like, I, did you have that thing where, like, I know people have told me where I that I should lose weight sometimes, like family members and people have said to me, you know, you oh, should yeah. maybe lose some weight. And I, and for a minute, you're like, okay, because maybe then if I lose the weight, I'd be easier to take care of. Like, did that cross yeah. your mind? That's that's definitely a consideration. So like, yeah, my dad would always pick me up and carry me from like the first, I don't know, till I went off to college. Like so the first 18 years of my life, he was like just a human forklift and would just pick me up and move me, yeah. which he was able to be a good physical labor his entire life. Um, but uh, once I went off to college, I started using Hoyer lift for the first time and I've been using it ever since. So for the past 10 years. Um, but yeah, so like, nobody physically like lifts me anymore. So that's not as big a concern, but there's still the like logistics of just like moving me in bed or like getting me dressed or showering me or like that, that, yeah, you think maybe if I weighed like, I don't know, 20, 30 pounds lighter, it would be easier for them, but also clothing. Like, honestly, my first like thought was when he said it, (laughs) excuse me, I got like a raspy smoker's voice going. It's hot. Like it's, it's, there's some sexiness to it. It works. It works. Thank you. It's um. It's the Georgia allergy voice. Uh, uh, that's right. It's the Georgia. Like you know, it's the Atlanta. You could just do a little bit more of a draw, and you'd be totally good. <laughs> yes. Uh. But yeah, like clothing was my first thought because it's so freaking hard to find clothes that work for my body because my body is just like super weird like compared to normative bodies um and some of that is like fat like that's part of it is that like obviously clothes don't aren't made for fat bodies either like traditionally historically that's changing now somewhat but um add disability on top of that and it's just very difficult so yeah he said that and i was like imagine the like blazers i could find or like the the dresses that were just really stylish and that I love, like that would be amazing, which is honestly garbage. Like I could, I don't think that really losing any more weight would make that easier. Just in my brain, those two things are necessarily connected because of what I've been told my entire life, you know? Yeah, yeah. your ableist brain was telling you, like, oh, this will make things much easier and it'll just be easier for everybody else. And then you can, yeah. like, then you can fit a normative body better. And maybe somebody will like, my brain would go to a place where it would be like, maybe somebody will fuck me now because I look a different way. Or really, yes. Like, did your brain go to that place too? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, my brain's not terribly far from that most days, anyways. So yeah. <laughs> Mine neither. Why are we not? Why have we not been best friends before? Questions. Clearly, that needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. So so uh my next question was you really give an amazingly accurate description in the in the essay and i think an important description of your disabled body you describe your posture due to scoliosis and i put in brackets here me too hey uh because <laughs> i have it too you describe yep. your quote round and wild ass and so on and it was a really like, i really loved the way you discussed the disabled body and we talked about it a little bit a minute ago but I, I know that when I've written about my body in pieces that I've done, seeing that language on the page can be really jarring and weird to like see to see your disability in print in something you wrote about yourself is awesome, but also feels sort of weird. Uh, did you did it feel this way when you were writing this piece? And why did you describe your body this way? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always trying to talk about yourself in any piece, really, like, which is funny to say as like someone who specializes in personal writing, but like, it's always a little weird. Um, but yeah, I definitely, my biggest concern in, in that descriptive passage was being true to like, the reality of my body, because I have a, I have, I know myself, and I have a tendency to, I mean, we all do to like, make it sound the way we'd like our bodies to be versus how they are. Um, and I was trying to like, describe in a way that simultaneously like was without like value judgment somewhat while also like being true to my relationship to my own body does that make sense like yeah so you were like trying to be wanna... gentle to yourself but also yeah honest but with yourself like, but also honest yeah gentleness and honesty like combined was it was kind of the the mixture the balance that i was going for um and i think it I think it worked. I'm, I'm glad that you responded so positively to it because that's like super important to me that other disabled people read that. And if not, like if can't, if they can't like connect personally, because obviously we're all very different then sort of just like recognize that that's kind of a fraught thing to do, describing our own bodies and like controlling the language around how we describe our own bodies is like, honestly, a very politically charged like act. I don't want to like put too much onto it, but no, but you're right. there, there's a whole lot to it, and it is totally, without question, a political act. And it can be hard yeah. to be political when we, when we, so many of us disabled people, we are politicized in ways that sometimes we don't want to be. And like when I write pieces, I don't think about the politics behind it. I'm just like, I want to write this piece because I. Hey, listeners! So right here, the audio crapped out super hard. Um, so we kind of started again. And that's why they cut off because the whole our whole Skype operation stopped working. So we kind of started again, and what you're gonna hear now is kind of a rejigging of some of that stuff. So here it is. So Kayla, you, I found the piece that I found the passage in the piece that I love so much, and I wanted to read a piece of it. So you said. Okay. I've never known whether to call myself fat or not. My ribs and stomach arch forward due to scoliosis, so my belly button touches mid-thigh when I'm sitting upright. My ass, meanwhile, juts out in the opposite direction, round and wild. My legs and, and arms are pure fat, given how few muscles I have to, to begin with. Even my ankles and feet are perpetually, perpetually swollen, like little cherubs. Feet never meant to touch the ground. Little cherub feet never meant to touch the ground. But in terms of actual weight, in terms of a number... Mine never seemed to be high enough to, quote, count as fat. Wow. There's so much disability stuff to unpack there. So many things. First, I have scoliosis too. So that mm -hmm. arch you're talking about and that rib sticking out thing, I get yeah. you. I'm there. Like, hey, what up? <laughs> um, and when I, before I had spinal fusion myself when I was 16, I could see my ribs. I could see that one rib all the time. And I, I just mm -hmm. thought that's how it was going to be. And then I have never really seen my ass, aside from being in the sling when somebody's wiping it for me. Um, yeah. Which is super same. weird. Isn't that the weirdest position to be in? It's oh. like, like, I don't super love where certain mirrors are, like, because that's just very, 
it's a weird view sometimes. Like when you're passing by a full length mirror or whatever, like it's a little weird. It's super strange. And, and then like <laughs> the way that I have my commode in my, cause I, I use the commode in my room because there's no space in my mm-hmm. bathroom. So I have yep. to use the commode in my room to use the toilet. So there's a mirror in front of me and there's a mirror behind me. So I think that we're the same person. Yeah. It's, there's And because my mom was like, Oh, that'll look artistic and beautiful. And I was like, yeah. But then the first time I took a shit, I was like, Oh, I can see myself. Oh, cool. That's super cool. weird. Yep. I'm right so, there with you. So uncomfortable. But anyway, that was, a, that was a, an awesome tangent that we went off on there. Um, I love the piece, and I love the part about the, your little cherub feet. And there was so much disability imagery there because if you're a disabled person, you've been infantilized at one point or another in your life and treated like a cherub. Um, yeah. So was that what you were going for when you wrote that part? Oh, my God. I'm, like, freaking out that you, you got all that, that, like, that was in purposeful all the way through and just, like, my sort of – subtle-ish way of like signaling to disabled readers in particular because like there is part of the part of the difficulty with writing about your own body when it's like a disabled body is like that question of audience like who are you writing it for like am I writing it for an able-bodied reader who doesn't have any like personal experience like lived experience with a body like mine or am I writing it for disabled readers who do and want to like connect with someone who shares that experience. So basically like walking the line between like educating and like connecting with your fellows, like with your, with your kin, essentially your community. Um, So yeah. So part of how I got around that in this passage, and I'm glad that it worked was sort of like signaling with some of the imagery and some of the word choices to disabled readers, like, Hey, signposting for them like here's here's stuff for you like um without having to like explain it all in depth like 101 like here's why this image is relevant and why it's resonant and like here's the history behind all of the like infantilization and angelic imagery and like does that make sense like sort of sneaking it in there without having to oh yeah totally. and those of us who are those of us who live with you know disabilities have studied in some way or another the cherub imagery and have been mm-hmm. confronted with that in some way. So it was a really, really quick nod to that without, again, like yeah. you said, not going, not going into all the history. Cause really, really as much as I love disabled history and I do, because I'm trying to produce another podcast about disability history. Cause I fucking love it. I'm trying to do the things and producing two podcasts is so hard, but I love it. Oh my it. gosh. You're a hero. It's like, it's, we should also talk about that. We should do something together because I need some help. And wow, we're the same person. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that's it was a nice little nod to the disabled body and like to how it's so often removed from adulthood. Mm, yeah. Um, and so when you talk about your body that way, like why why did you why did you want to describe it that way? Was it just because you were like this is what it is and I want people to know or were you like, I got the sense from reading it and even looking over now, I get the sense that you wanted to like, like I like how you infuse artistic stuff with the reality of your disabled body. Was that kind of what you're going for? Yeah. I mean, there's also, again, that risk of like, like you have to, and 
this okay so like like let, let's let's just get real for a second um we especially when you're trying to we're getting real warning um warning. Yeah, we're definitely getting definitely getting real before too but um so like in publishing especially when you're trying to get a piece published you just like the nature of capitalism means that you kind of have to in some way cater to able audiences like which sucks and i've been again i've been thinking about audience a lot lately and like what my goals are and like what my like where my line is of catering and of like pandering to them because like i don't really care like i don't care about that really but like anyways um that's a whole different episode but um what was i saying i lost my train of thought oh so yeah there's a danger in in writing about your body and like describing it that you stick so close to like trying to get across what you look like because you don't look like most people that you lose the artistry. Like I'm, I'm a craftsman. Like I, I read for the pleasure of words and of language and of imagery and of sound. And I never want to write something that's just informative. Like I want to be like, my writing is often talked about as being like eye-opening and um, educational and like, oh, I never thought about that before, which is amazing. And I hear it from disabled people too. Like, and that's the best thing is like, oh, I never heard somebody talk about this before or in this way, or um, here's how my experience relates or differs. And that's amazing. But it's also just really satisfying to hear like, man, that sentence was killer. Like that was just a beautifully written paragraph. Like, um, you know what I mean? Like there, there's, there's that component, the craft, the artistry component as well that I never want to lose. So yeah, this description of my body was sort of a way to marry those two, like get across the truth and the reality of my body and my relationship to it without sacrificing the joy of a well-written sentence, you know? I love how you just turned the art of writing the disabled body into something that was sort of erotic. That was sort of awesome. <laughs> And, I'm so glad. Like, I don't even think you meant to do that, but I'm like, wow, now I want to like go and I want to write a million things about the disabled body because I want to like feel those feelings. That's yes. awesome. It's, it's worth it. Like it's our bodies are worth writing about lovingly and beautifully and like purposefully. And that's honestly one of the major reasons that I write is to, to make that happen because nobody else has done it for me so right. i gotta do it i guess <laughs> we're not we're not doing it enough like so many yeah of the disabled body are negative or painful or discussions of how mm-hmm. disability ravages you and all that's true and all that happens and that's that's valid and i think and that's what we're really, talking about too obviously yeah yeah but it's just not we never see i don't want to say positive or negative we never see real depictions of the disabled body and this that that particular passage in your essay was like i stopped and was like oh yeah i'm gonna flag that one because i like that right away oh, thank you um, it was so good one of the other moments you talk about in your piece which i laughed pretty loud at when i read it it was how you talk about dieting as an experience as a as a as an experience wow experiment that's the word i want to say <laughs> and your fantasy of using this change in your in your disability and I have in brackets, also side note, aren't these moments super fun? 
yes. as a way to consider looking at your body. So mm-hmm. we, we talked a little bit about this before, but what did you fantasize about during this like experimental process of dieting with disability? <laughs> so yeah, like when I want to talk about in the essay is that I, after I went to the nutritionist, I started experimenting particularly with smoothies. Um, and just cause all I could drink, all I could eat was liquid stuff basically. Um, so I was like, how can I make the most delicious protein packed smoothies possible? And I was just like buying every kind of fruit, all the different like leafy greens, like just throwing stuff into a blender and like praying that it turns out edible. Um, and it was really, really fun because I've, I've never been able to cook for myself. Like I can't reach the stove really. I, I should not be trusted with a knife and I don't particularly like knives anyways. Like I would prefer the sharp objects to be far away from me. Thank you. This is the um, story of my life. Yep. I have spastic. <laughs> if you give me a knife, I'd probably throw it at you and then you would not be okay. I'm just too weak. Like my hand, like my wrists are just, just don't have the, like the angle or the, the like power behind it to like chop efficiently. So it, I can technically do it probably, but it would take me like probably an hour to cut up a potato. Like there's just no, there's no need. Um, and I would probably slip at some point. That would be bad. But so yeah, I've never been able to like experiment with my own food. I've either eaten what is prepared for me by my parents or like attendants or the school cafeteria, or I eat at restaurants. And like, so the extent of my ability to play with food was just essentially picking an item off a menu. Like that was the most that I could do beyond when I was little, I did figure out for a brief period, how to make my own scrambled eggs, which was super, probably not safe, but uh, like, because I had to like prop my arm up onto the oven door handle and like just very precariously, I like very precariously would hold a, like one of the cookings, like plastic spoons and like just I couldn't even see inside the pan. I was just going by feel like where the eggs were and where I was scrambling. And (laughs) I made a mean scrambled egg. I'm not going to lie. It turned out delicious for a little while. And then I decided it wasn't worth it because I was, it it was a little scary, but beyond that scrambled egg experience as a small child, smoothies was my first chance to like have fun with my food and like direct it's construction and like make all the decisions about what gets put in and how much of it and like in what proportion to other things. And yeah, it was super fun. Like, I don't even know. I just, yeah, it was, it was a really cool opportunity that I wouldn't have expected. Like this whole losing swallowing ability was not like a fun period in my life. It was a huge adjustment. And like, there was a lot of grief involved and a lot of like confusion and scariness, but is yeah, it weird figuring out when I, first, when I first read about it, my when I first read the title of what it was, I knew what we were talking about, and I didn't know I didn't we hadn't you and I hadn't met or talked at that point, but I read the article, and my very first thought was, I wonder if she can still go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's. I mean, I feel like I would have expected that from you, and I've only known you for the past like hour. Um, right, I mean, right? But, <laughs> like, I don't know. Honestly, like, again, we're getting real. I don't know if I could before because I never tried. So, like, who knows? Okay, wow. I just opened a whole can of worms that I want to totally unpack right there. Hang on. Cool. Hold on. Cool. What? Okay. Let's start from the beginning. 
Well, I mean, the point is just I have literally zero experience any in any realm, honestly. So, yeah, that's it's I, never come I'm, up. I've never had any opportunity. I'm curious. Okay. I'm curious about how is that just because of like like dynamics of family and disability and things. Partly, um, partly, yeah. I mean, I live at home now, and but even in college, like when I was living on, in a dorm for the four years for undergrad and the two years for my first master's degree, um, it just just didn't happen. Like there was just not just a lack of interest. Let's put it that way, on other oh. people's part, not so much on mine. So it was that it was it was it was ableism then that's been the mm, that's a pretty succinct way of putting it yeah I like that you just got to the heart of it people are gross um, people are the worst but like I still want to kiss them <laughs> right isn't that the worst like that's the problem right isn't it the worst that the most ableist fucktards that you're like you're I don't shouldn't want to be attracted to you and yet I want to get take and my yet. clothes off with you all the time. I love you. It's just the point of this whole podcast. Oh, right? yeah. Just, Basically, we're friends. We're for friends. anyone who's listening, we have, we, like, like we just said, we never met each other. We don't, we've literally known each other mm-hmm. from afar and literally through Twitter being like, I read your stuff. Cool. But that's literally the extent of our, of, and so now, yeah. basically, what you're hearing, listeners, is us being like, we should be friends. The end. Period. Yeah. I feel like yeah. you're you're witnessing a platonic soulmate discovery in progress, like right now as it's happening. happening. It's an important moment. Live PJ. on air, not live, but <laughs> sort of. Well, right now it's live. When when they hear this, it won't be. But when they hear it, it won't be. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> so, other than you know your smoothie diet, what mm-hmm. what do you and to go off on another tangent, what do you fantasize about? Like what? So you've okay. So you've never had the sexy times, which is totally fine, and I support that until <sighs> until yeah. until I don't support it anymore because because <laughs> I want to make that happen for you. But oh, thank you. But if but so but so because you haven't, does your fan? I'm wondering, does your fantasy of sex and disability like I remember when I hadn't, and even when I have, my fantasy of sex and disability is very much, I would say, ableist. Do you think that because mm you haven't had sexual had gotten to experience that yet that you have the same issue um kind of but honestly now that you're asking that question and thinking about it maybe the opposite like weirdly because because i haven't had any chances to like experiment and to like explore that avenue of my life that but i have what i have had is years worth of now getting embedded pardon the like terrible pun in the disability community and like having so many friendships develop and like being able to read so much about other people's experiences that I think maybe I'm sort of this time is letting me like get all of that ableist garbage out of my head before I start like does that make sense like I I think maybe this is kind of an opportunity now that I'm thinking about it in this frame to like de-ableize my <laughs> understanding and my concepts and my, and my thought processes behind it before I get to that stage. So maybe when I do get to that stage, it'll be easier to like have a meaningful relationship and have a meaningful like 
back and forth because I won't have to work as hard to like get through the ableist, like internalized ableism component of it. Yeah. And I'm wondering also like, do you, do you, like, are you, because you haven't had, again, because you haven't had the sexy times, not to drive home the point, but that's part of what I'm, that's part of I mean, like, it's, it's my life, dude. That's fine. Yeah. Because you, because it's not happened yet. Do you like, is your fantasy dude like six pack and with, or person, sorry, I should be way more general. Yeah, typically not, not as much dudes lately, but yeah. Okay. So is your fantasy person like super able-bodied and super like flexible? Oh and, yeah. Oh yeah. And so. Because like. Because that's. Like, I feel like not only is that the, the expected, like the norm, like the ableist norm, but you got like, you figure, oh, they'll be able to compensate for what I can't do. Like, you know, like, oh cool. If one of us can handle a whole bunch of stuff, then I don't have to like work as hard. Like I can like, like they'll make up for what I don't have, which is again, garbage. And like, I mean, it might be true in some cases, just logistically make things easier, but yeah, there's definitely that. (laughs) Like just the logistics of it is the most confusing part for me. Like I can't like, even as a teenager, when I was just thinking about like kissing somebody, I couldn't, and I've talked about this in an essay before, I couldn't like get the staging right in my head. Like I would think about it as like a play and I'd be like, okay, so I'm here. So the other person is there. Are they standing? Are they sitting? If they're sitting, how are they, how are we going to reach? Because there's laps in the way, like that's not going to work. But if they're standing, is that going to hurt their back? Like to bend over? Like, I don't, what, what's going on? Like, I don't know how to, how this, I couldn't ever like get to the actual, like kissing part of things even as a like 12 year old, because I just couldn't figure out the staging. Like the logistics of it was a nightmare. And I was like, it's so confusing. I love how, so yeah, I love how your 12 year old brain was trying to figure out the logistical staging as a wheelchair mm-hmm. user of how to kiss somebody. Yep. That's adorable because my 1 million percent, like my 12 year old brain was like, okay, so at what point do I get to see your, your junk? And at what point <laughs> do I get to put my mouth on it? That's that. Oh my god! That was I my twelve year brain. Yeah, I was a super like easily embarrassed and like didn't want to hear about anything or know anything. Child and teenager, like oh, we'll, we'll have to talk about this later. But yeah, like college was when I was like, oh wait, what that what is happening? Like, what is, what are those words mean? What are these things people are talking about? I don't understand because I've blocked it all out intensely. <laughs> yeah, I know. College for me was when this slutty part of myself just kind of was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Let's go. Oh be a slut. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't worry. You're, you're... I didn't quite get to the like being one stage in college. Like we're almost there now, but it was definitely the the moment of I could be like, that could be fun. um so many things i need to have you back on another episode about different okay about different things um or all the same things uh whatever one of the the things that i love that you one of the visuals that i lost my mind about when i read it in your piece was when how was how Mm -hmm. you and your dad weighed yourself and i just thought (laughs) it was so funny and I want to read a piece of it because it made me fall apart laughing. I got to find it now. 
I literally was like, this is amazing. I need to know your dad. So you said, (laughs) you said years ago, I bought a fish scale that weighs via gravity. The kind of, the kind used to weigh hundred pound groupers or giant tuna. (laughs) The fish is placed in a net of some kind and hooked to the scale where it hangs in the air. It's weight pulling on the hook that moves the dial. Since I can't stand to weigh myself, Dad suggests an alternative. We attach the scale to my heart lift, <laughs> what we use to transfer me in and out of my wheelchair, and I hang in the air, cocooned in my sling while my dad reads the dial. Oh, my God. Yeah. As a disabled person who also uses a heart lift, I don't know if you use the one with the like bright blue sling. I have a bright green sling. They're all the same. Mine is bright blue, but like I understand the feeling of being cocooned in your sling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, so so yeah. put this visual there for me. So, so you're in the you're in the hoyer lift. I get that part, mm-hmm. and the weight, like, and so the 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 scale is is like on the hoyer lift. So the yeah, so like you know how the like the hanger part that looks like a coat hanger or whatever, where your lift, your sling hooks onto that part's connected to a hook at the top of the lift. We took the hanger part off, put the scale on that, that hook that attaches to the beam, the boom of the lift, and then hooked the hanger back onto the bottom of the scale and then hooked the sling onto the hanger again. So it was like the boom, the scale, the hanger, the sling, like all connected like that in a chain. So yeah it's like that that's i mean the visual i think just as a disabled person like we don't get weighed a lot the last time i got weighed was it's so hard it's so hard the last time i got weighed was when i was in the hospital and i was sick and they were like well how much do you weigh and i was like i don't know and they were like what do you mean you don't know and i was like because disability is why i don't know um like how do you expect me to get weighed like i can't stand on a scale so like what do you want? Like, yeah, unless you're gonna. Then they put me in there in the special hospital bed that like does the does the weight for you and like automatically subtracts the mm-hmm. weight the bed or whatever. And so I remember them being like, "You're 140 pounds," and just like you, when you the thought of losing weight, I also went, yeah. "Good, I'm I'm a I'm a good weight now. Like I'm a, I'm a." Oh my god! I did the same thing and I felt terrible, but I did it. I was like, yes. Good. It's a small, not small-ish, smaller number than I expected, which is just so much garbage on every level. Anyways, the, I'm with you. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I'm glad that I'm glad that they were, I'm glad we went off on the same tangent. Like, okay. Um, and so then I I said I said I asked you, did you did all of this weight loss play any role in how you see your sexuality? Now I learned something about your sexuality today. So the question's a little bit... I mean, I don't want to like... I don't want to give the wrong impression because I feel like experience is different than like in desire. And oh yeah, you know course. what I mean? So like, like I'm covered on the one end of the spectrum. It's just we haven't gotten to the other end. So like, I don't think it's changed how I view my sexuality because I have a pretty solid view of it already. Um, and... Again, like I think the biggest change is how the disability community and like me getting to know that the community exists in college. Like I knew, like I didn't really have access to it before like Twitter basically. Um, 
Right? Thank God for Can we just pause it for a minute and talk about Twitter for like yeah. one second? Twitter yes. and disability has that has that platform not saved all of our lives as oh my god people like thank goodness for that. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, I feel like community is another thing that's fascinating to me, like in terms of disability, because it's just so hard to like build in a lot of ways, not only because like so many of us are physically isolated from one another and from like the world in some cases, just because of like lack of transportation or whatever. Um, And plus like just so there's so many different, like disability is such a wide umbrella that it's so easy to like sort of get siloed. Like society tries to like silo us into like, Oh, you're the wheelchair users. Oh, you're the blind people. Oh, you're the deaf people. And like, it's Twitter just makes it so much easier to like get the full breadth and depth of the disabled experience, like the disabled, you know what I mean? Like the disabled experiences, like our collective, like history and community and connection. Like it's just, I don't know. I'm very, very passionate about it. And I am sad that I missed out on so many years of knowing, like not of, not of knowing, like I knew disabled people growing up. I knew several, I was even friends with several, but like knowing that it was more, that there could be more than just like that interpersonal one-on-one sort of shallow friendship and could be like a community, like a disabled family. Like just, it makes me sad to think about that I missed out on that as a child. And it took me until I was an adult to like get access to it via the internet. Yeah. And I think like I've read your stuff on the internet and I read your tweets and like, and I'm going to say this in the most loving way. Your tweets are angry, but necessary, like, <laughs> but necessarily angry. And I think the, I think what I love about your tweets is that they're, you're like, you embody the angry disabled person in a way that is artistic. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. That's like one of the nicest things anybody's ever said. I'm kind of awesome. Just in oh. case you're wondering. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm gathering. <laughs> Honestly. But like, you know, on Twitter, we see a lot of disabled people having having anger and their anger is totally valid. But but the way you like, – I can't think of any any specific tweets right now, but I remember reading a few being like, oh, she's pissed, but I really like the way she put those words together. Like that's <laughs> – That's what I'm here for. That's my goal. Like be pissed, but be pretty about it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, so uh, what did – I don't have any other questions, but I, well, I, I do. I'll make one up on the spot. What do you? What, what advice would you give to other disabled girls or disabled femmes or disabled people who identify as a as a non male person? Um, so many different, so many different labels. I had to make sure I got them all right. Um, so many genders. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. So, what, how would you? What advice would you give to a to a, a femme presenting person who was going through the struggles you were and was worried about how they would be perceived by society? Well, that's a giant question. Um, whew, wasn't prepared to get into that, but I'm gonna try. Um, I 
honestly feel like I'm the worst person to give advice for that question because I'm still even like years after like actively trying to work through it. I'm, I still feel like I'm in the thick of it a lot of the time. Um, but I think that honestly, my, my biggest piece of advice is just to like, let yourself be in the thick of it. Like let yourself feel all the things you're feeling. Like that's really hard for me to do. I have a, I feel a lot and I felt a lot like as a child and I learned how to wall it off and like not feel those things or to feel different things. And, um, I don't think that was healthy in retrospect. Um, and I think that it's important to acknowledge the, the full range, the full spectrum of your emotions, no matter what they are at any given time. That doesn't mean you have to like exist solely within them or like that they aren't mutable or that you're going to be stuck there forever, wherever there is, um, whether it's a positive emotion or a negative one or which I don't like calling emotions positive or negative. I feel like it's an unhelpful way of thinking about it, but it's also an efficient way of thinking about it. Um, which is a long winded way of saying, just feel your feelings and try to convince yourself that they're valid and that your emotions are valid. And no matter what society tries to tell you, because they will tell you that your emotions are not valid a lot of the time. Um, especially if you're, if you're and I think even, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, for sure. Um, and I think even this is a whole nother episode too, probably, but I feel like, I feel like the disabled community doesn't always do enough to validate the full spectrum of emotion. And part of that is necessary because, or like not necessary, but I get it because we're constantly having to fight ableist perceptions of us and of what we're feeling. And so it's really, really easy to be like, Oh, able people think that we're constantly feeling bad about ourselves and like that we hate our lives so that it's really tempting and expedient to, as a community be like, no, we don't feel that way ever. Like and sort of make a hard line, like to try to combat those honestly, super wildly inaccurate and harmful perceptions. But I worry sometimes that we risk losing then access to the full spectrum of our humanity because that includes those emotions. Like we deserve to be angry. We deserve space to be sad or to feel grief or to feel happiness or to find beauty in our disabilities and in our bodies or to want sexy times or to engage in them or to not, or to like laugh about the hilarious like reality of watching yourself on the toilet in a mirror because that's how your room's set up and it's super funny it's like but also really weird like it's also weird and it's just i think that i i'm rambling and i've gotten away from your question but i think it's ramble away okay i'm glad i think it's important to like hold all those things at once or not if not hold them all at once because that's a lot then to like allow yourself to hold as many as you need at at any point, like, or to put them away as you need. But like, I just, I want us as disabled people and especially as disabled, like women and femmes and non-men as you so succinctly put, um, to just have access 
like I said, to the full spectrum of our emotions in the way that able people are often, not always because of, you know, intersectionality and other marginalizations, but often allowed access to their emotions. Like we deserve that. We deserve to feel however we feel and not answer to anybody else for that. Okay. The end. That was like, I, 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 that's why, that's why I didn't speak for like 20 seconds. Cause I was like, wow, this is so much to like think about, but yeah, you're totally right that, you know, we need, we need to be given the chance to sit in our emotions and be, and be with them, whatever they are. And we don't do that enough. We often try to mm-hmm. push ourselves and our community up because socially mm-hmm. we have to be up. And the only people who are going to, who yeah. are going to bring us up are us. So a lot of the yeah. conversations on Twitter, like today, actually, I just created a hashtag for myself and I want to put it out there in the world. And I created one that's called um, Disabled Dreamboats. Because ah, I thought it was cute and kind lovely. of hilarious. And so I created that to like, yeah. talk about, you know, how hobby all are. But then again, like what if I was having a shitty day and I wanted a hashtag to like describe the shittiness of disability? Would that hashtag be readily, be as readily accepted? Probably not. Yeah, no, probably not. And I mean, I think that, I, again, I get it. Like, I get what we're up against. I get that, like, so much of our, like, fight is demanding recognition of our humanity. And that that, because of how people have viewed us traditionally and historically and do still, um, a lot of that is about rejecting stereotype, like stereotypical presentations of like how we feel. So the instinct is to say, no, I don't feel that. Not that's instead of saying, no, that's not the full extent of how I can feel. Like, I think there's a, a difference there, a distinction there that's important and that sometimes gets lost. Um, but yeah, I'm with you like sometimes. And I think that like, maybe a helpful way of thinking about it is like people like thinking about it in terms of bodies again, like sometimes abled people don't like their bodies and that doesn't mean that they don't like their lives or that they don't like being them or whatever. Like it just means that that day they don't like something about their body and that's okay. And it's not going to reflect on the entirety of the abled people in the world, the way that we can, when we say, I don't feel good about my body today. A lot of times people take that and project it onto every other disabled person. And that's not fair. Like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. GIF. Like that's not, you know, like, so I don't know, again, rambling, but like I said, it was a big question. So. Rambling. So, so important. I'm just, I'm going over another article that you wrote that I just kind of found when we were talking, I was listening to you, but also being like, I want to find out more stuff she did. So and I haven't <laughs> read this article, but I love the title of it so much. And I need you to tell me all about it right now. Oh my gosh. What is the chronology okay. of touch? Oh, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, that is essentially about my first childhood fantasies and like experiences like experimenting with masturbation oh my god start from the beginning and go uh i mean it's also got a lot to do with butterflies weirdly um and like soap operas and uh 
I don't even, it's been so long since I wrote it. I mean, it's not been that long. It's been a couple, like two years, like a year, but I don't remember exactly what I talked about in there, but yeah, just sort of like, that's one of the few essays I've published actually that doesn't directly talk about disability. Um, interestingly yeah, enough, that, that, which is not like, like direct. a conscious. Yeah. And that, yeah. That wasn't like a conscious thing. It just didn't feel like that's what that essay wanted to be like. I, and those aspects of my life are not easily distangled, untangled. That's not a word. Um, distangled awesome. And we should use it everywhere. Distangled a new word. I'm Shakespeare Amazing. coining words Amazing. as I go. Um, Wouldn't it be awesome but, if Shakespeare was a woman? Yeah, for whatever reason. Oh my God. And a right? Woman. I mean. <laughs> a disabled woman of color. Like, do it. I like it. Head cannon accepted. Like. like Kia um, Brown, hey. Not that I'm a woman of color. That was bad. Yeah, like Kia is amazing. Shut up. Also, I was thinking of her just then when you said you started the hashtags. I was like, it's like a companion to this. I mean, right? Okay, I have feelings. I have like, feelings have, about like, that though because I have feelings about that. Like, I love Kia. She's great. I love okay. the hashtag. It's great. But after she created Disabled and Cute, which I love, no shade, love it. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that people would then take the hashtag and do like disabled and fierce or disabled and like whatever. And I was like, no. Yes. That's not the. I no. was like, no. Leave the purity of her hashtag alone for like five seconds. And let it- Just like five seconds, people. Just let a black disabled woman do something awesome and not try to yeah, call out. Please. That was great. for like Thanks. three seconds. And like, I had her on the show last year. She's amazing. Her mm-hmm. rise. Her rise mm-hmm. has been so needed. Oh my god, like, it's so it's so been, it's been so beautiful to watch. Like I just am so happy for her and so proud of her and so excited that like the world at large is gonna get to know her in such a big way. And like when you talk to her, like I talked to her for the podcast and we talked for probably an hour about just about disabling you. And I I, I wasn't mm-hmm. as polished as I am now. Yeah, right. I <laughs> but I didn't write down questions. I just kind of threw loved questions at her and she was so you could tell she was so cool and she's such a nerd in the coolest way mm-hmm. and I was like yes. I just want to be your best friend can we please hang it like like yes. you're just so I think that Shakespeare should she's just, the, just sweetest. She's the sweetest her her book's gonna be amazing it's just the greatest um mm-hmm. I'm looking at, at the at the 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 no eating essay again because that's what I'm calling it now. Okay. And I. <laughs> that's, it works. It's shorter than the there's title. There's a part in it where you talk about how your fat protected you. Can you go, can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Um, that was, okay. So you kind of need to understand. I'm going to give you a little um, sneak behind the scenes, sneak peek behind the scenes um, of the hey, writing wait, of that before essay. We go there, so, hang on. I'm just looking at, at the beginning of the essay on Catapult. And your the column yeah. the column title is the most sexually suggestive slash disabled thing I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing. So it's my favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. I was. I'm honestly really proud that they let me keep it because when I pitched the column, I had that title for the column, and I was like, "There's no way they're gonna let me keep that. They're gonna make me change it." But they didn't, and I was so glad. It's li- like. Like I'm already thinking podcast. I'm thinking like there are so many things that, and you have a by the way, you have a really nice podcast voice. So you like Aww, there are things that yeah. I'm going to talk to you on 
about off the air that we should discussions will happen. But <laughs> I just okay. thought it was funny that you have this column hard to swallow and um and there's just really sexually suggestive hilarious things there. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I'm I mean I'm glad that you appreciate it because I feel like not enough people appreciate that title and I just feel seen right now and very happily so. Yay. Sorry listeners, this is us just we're just stroking each other's ego for like an hour. Sorry. You can Whatever. press pause Whatever. and not listen if you choose not to. But but <laughs> like why would you? I mean because right? So yeah. So but anyway. This is a gift. A gift. This is a gift to you. Yes. So but so okay. So the the initial question was Oh, I was talking about the the writing of the essay. So I can you, get back to that. So, the so you, part. Um Right. So this is a column. That was actually a good segue because so like this is not just an isolated essay. This is an ongoing monthly column with Catapult. Um, and this was the second installment. The first one I wrote a problem. I had planned it out like I knew exactly what I was going to say because I had to pitch the column, like pitch like three ideas for different essays in it. Um, so the first one was easy peasy. Great. And then the second one I wrote this one, um, I ended up writing during a really pretty bad for me, like depression swing, downswing. And where like writing anything was just really hard. Like it wasn't even the content of what I was writing, but like, I just could not get words on the page and it was like awful. Um, So I'm really glad this one has gotten such a good reception because I thought it was terrible while I was writing it, which was just a product or a product of my brain being a liar. But, um, anyway, so as I was writing it, I couldn't figure out how to end it. And I tried like a bunch of different endings and different like back halves of the essay and nothing felt right tonally or in keeping with the first part of the essay. And I couldn't figure out what to do. And so I finally just said, screw it, just like write and see what happens. And that section about like my fat protecting me is what happened. And I hadn't honestly thought about it in those terms before I was writing it down. Like I was having the thought as I was typing and I was like, it was just one of those moments in writing where I was like, Oh, right. This is, this is why I do this. Like, this is one of those moments where suddenly something in my life makes so much more sense. And I'm able to see it so much more clearly and in a really like powerful way. And so, yeah, it came out, I mean, I'm sure there were edits like in terms of wording or phrasing or whatever in that part, because there were throughout as always, like in any publication, but yeah, it was, it was a really affecting moment of writing. I was like, this is why I'm writing this essay. Like uh, up until that point, I didn't know what the point of the essay was really. Like it was kind of about the nutritionist thing and it was kind of about fun with smoothies and it was kind of like about fat phobia, but like kind of about like dieting, like it was weird and just all over the place. And that is what tied it together ultimately. And like made the rest of the essay, like come into focus for me in a way that it hadn't before that point. Um, so anyways, that's sort of the craft side of it, but which is probably the boring part of it, but whatever. Um, there were no boring parts of this essay. So, I, I got, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm reading <laughs> pieces of it right now. Again, as we're talking to me, like, Oh, I want to ask her about this. I want <laughs> Oh my gosh, you were too I'm sweet. Kind of the best. Um, but yeah, that was 
that was a, a really, a really meaningful moment for me. And one I think that I'm going to remember a lot because again, I just hadn't, hadn't thought about it like that, but it's, it was true. Like if I had been a lower weight when this happened, it, things could have gotten really, really bad. Like, because a lot of times people with SMA are really underweight, um, which is funny. Like, it's weird that some of us are chronically like underweight and some of us are always overweight. Like, I don't know why that is like, it tends to be one or the other, like extreme men. I have a friend, but who's, I don't know why. Who's severely underweight. And he lost the ability to swallow mm-hmm. and eat. And he now uses a G tube. And oh, I remember. I do too. Awesome. I was just going to ask you. I was like, what? I was just going to be like, so you didn't really tell us like what the, how, what happened there. And then. <laughs> Next yeah, essay. Actually though, can you make it one, please? Uh, Oh, it's, it's going to be the next one. So ready. I'm ready. Um, so he uses the G-tube. <laughs> and I remember like I remember when I first met him, he could swallow and he could chew. And that was happening. And then and then halfway through, he stopped being able to. And he went through this period of like mourning that none of us could assist him with because yeah. none of us were going through it. And even though I am fiercely disabled and very much like – there for all that stuff. I didn't know what to do because I was like, I don't, I can still swallow. Like, I don't, I don't know how to help you and I don't know how to like do this for you. And so now he has a running joke where he can buy Chinese food and it lasts him a whole week because he has three bites for dinner and that's, there you go. So like, but I, I, one of the things in your essay that I love so much is you talk about looking at the other kids with SMA and you say, I never looked like the other kids with SMA. I, I was always chubby, fleshy in a way that they weren't. I envied them. I eventually learned that being underweight, especially to that extent, is a major concern for most of us and leads to all sorts of complications. I know this and yet still can't quite believe that it's a bad thing, not deep down where believing counts. And then you go on to, to say, you go on to say, I'm going to find the part where you talk about your fat protect. You go, you say, I was able to last those first months without solid food was because I had a built-in buffer. My fat protected me. When my muscles could no longer swallow, when I couldn't get the nutrients and calories I needed, my fat held me close and kept me safe. And that part like, broke that broke me. When I, when I read that the very first time, I stopped and went, oh, fuck, this person is, like, amazing. I literally was like, that's incredible. <laughs> because as – Disabled people, we're not supposed to ever be fat, and we, yeah. we're. It's supposed to be a like I have what I refer to as my disability belly, and it's it's my thing. Yes. It's where I keep all of my feelings, and it's there. But I'm not supposed to have it. I'm supposed to be no, thin and fit. And so when you wrote about how your fat protects you, and and I think in a way like. That's why I talk about being a bear in a chair. And that's why I, you know, I make jokes with it because it is the reality. And so when you wrote that about your fat being yeah. your protector, I was like, oh my God, so many feelings. Amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I had a whole lot of feelings as I was writing it. Um, yeah. That, like I said, that was, that's going to stick with me. Like just the act of, of writing and realizing at the same time. And like what that meant was yeah, it was a lot, but I'm glad that it, that it resonated that like it, 
it affected somebody else as much as it affected me. That's like, that's and nice. I, you know, I read, I skimmed it last night because I wasn't, I didn't do my job like I should have done, and read it in. Because no, it's because you're a professional. You were, you were doing a last that's minute really like refresher. I was watching Bob's Burgers and. <gasps> I yes. was watching Bob's Burgers and being like, oh Tina God. Belcher is my, I want to be your friend. Oh my God. Basically I love her. Belcher. It's fine. She's the best. <laughs> okay. So I don't have anything else to ask you, but I think, okay. do you have anything else you want to say? Do you want to let people know where they can find you? I'm not sure. Uh, sure. Um, so yeah, I'm on Twitter is like where I spend most of my life. Um, it's at pumpkin on wheels. So P U N K I N on wheels. And the reason it's kind of a funny story. No, it's actually probably a boring story, but I'm going to tell it anyways, because I do what I want. Um, so yeah, like, so when AIM, like instant messenger, AOL instant messenger first popped up, I was in middle school or whatever. And so we all were picking our screen names and it was supposed to like, you had to pick something like super good and like funny, but like not too funny. Like you don't want to try too hard, but you also wanted people to be like, oh yeah, that's, that's clever. I like that one. Um, so anyways, I came up with the name pumpkin on wheels because I was like, ha ha, get it. I'm round like a pumpkin. <laughs> so I was like, it was like a weird, like self-deprecating thing that was probably not super healthy at the start but over time I kept using that as like my internet name and it became sort of an empowering thing like me taking control of how I present myself and how I think of myself and how I talk about my disability and my body in like a a weird succinct way I actually now have a tattoo of a pumpkin on wheels that my sister drew for me on my ankle um but when I first got a twitter Naturally, I used pumpkin on wheels as my handle, forgot about Twitter, tweeted like once, never logged in, totally forgot it existed. Then like a couple years later, I was like, oh, I should get a Twitter. All these kids are talking about these days. And um, like the 80 year old grandma I am. Um, and I had forgotten that I had already made an account. So well, when I know, tried to choose pumpkin on wheels, it was like with your somebody already took me. And your G2, but you are nearing that grandma sad is way faster than I think you're ready for. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong, but yeah. So like I'd forgotten that I'd made this account. And so the name was taken and I was so angry. I was ready to like burn people to the ground. So instead of remembering that I, I already owned the name and just figure out how to log into it. I made a different one that was like P U N K I N like pumpkin on wheels instead. And then by the time I realized, I already had like a thousand followers. So I was like, well, whatever. We're sticking with it. So anyways, that's I did Twitter. have one question as we were talking. I, I have one, one question that I was thinking about. Um, as a disabled person, mm-hmm. what makes you feel sexy? <gasps> oh my gosh. How do you ask all these like giant questions in like five <laughs> words? Um, <laughs> seriously though. Uh, makeup is one. Just like not just the act of wearing make like of having makeup on, but like the act of putting it on is like really sensual to me. And like really a, like a cool experience because it's like, it takes me a long time to do my makeup like properly, like to do a full face. Um, partially because I'm just bad at makeup and partially because like, you know, I have, it takes me longer to like reach for things and open containers and put things on. And so I ends up taking me like an hour <clears throat> to just do a basic like face of makeup but 
So I do it so rarely that it feels like an indulgence when I do it. Like this is me valuing my appearance on my own terms and doing this because I feel like it and like really being self-indulgent in a way that's really satisfying. Um, and then naturally once I have my makeup on, I have to take a billion selfies because because obviously, obviously like this, that's the fun part too. Like, obviously it's like, that's just like the act of putting on makeup and then of taking pictures of myself with it on, like, and controlling how I'm framed and like what part of me you see in my expression. And like, I mean, all of that, people have talked about this before, like the power of selfies, but the power, of, um, but I think no, no one's like really that. talked about the power of disabled selfies. I mean, I mean, that's true. Yeah. That's kind true. of did with probably disabling cute, not but like the power of a marginalized person taking a picture of themselves because they wanted to is really powerful. Yeah. That and also like when you add in the physical disability component. So like I can't lift my arms up really. Like I can lift my, I can bend my arms. Like I can bend them all the way up to my, like, so my hands touch my shoulders, but I can't lift my anything above the elbow up. Like I don't have that strength. So holding a phone out to take a selfie is really hard for me to do. Like I have to either have my elbow propped up onto a counter or um, like just get really creative with angles or whatever. Um, So it's, yeah, taking a selfie is like the typical act of like reclaiming your appearance and how you're composed literally in a photograph um, and how you present your appearance to the world. But it's also like it takes a lot, like a lot of physical strength for me to do. So I feel kind of like powerful. Like that's one of the most physical activities that I do is take a selfie. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of a cool, cool thing too is, and it, it means that I can't try forever because I have a limited number of positions where I can do it successfully. But um, yeah, I think there's something really, also kind of fun in the challenge of it that's, for me. If that's that makes really sense. awesome. I never considered selfies to be a challenge, but you're totally right. And and that's really cool. Um, there are so many more things I want to talk to you about, but the audience doesn't need or want to hear them. So right, no, they don't I mean, to me. And like we've given them an totally hour and twenty worth of things to it, it's fine. Oh my God, has it been that long? Oh, I'm I've gotta eat. Right. Talking then, about food. I keep to a very like strict G tube speeding schedule these days just because it makes my life easier. So that's why I'm like, Oh no, that's smart though. it's fine. And I want to talk to you about the G tube in so many ways. Um, um, okay. But it was so fun to talk to you. It was such a relaxing and awesome and important yes. conversation. Uh, I, can I also just say thank you for you for like all the work that you do? Like you are so incredible. And I know we haven't really, before now connected, but like, I, I obviously like knew of you and like had seen you from afar. Although now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I actually follow you on Twitter, which is a mistake and I'm fixing it immediately. But well, you're one of those people that like, I think what happens is certain people that I follow, everybody else retweets them so much that I feel oh, like yeah. I'm already following them. But then I realize like, Oh, I'm not. Casey, so like, you know what, what just happened, happened today? Um, Judith human. What? fucking <gasps> tweeted about me i lost my shit it happened like 10 oh minutes my ago God, you're yeah it happened 10 minutes ago and she said hang on i'm gonna find the tweet and read it to the audience because i died she said to me about me that here it is 
She said, my MCM this week is Andrew Gerza for Disaf Dark Pod and Andrew Gerza through podcast blogs and presentations. Disability After Dark offers you a unique glimpse into sex and disability that shines a light on the intersectionality of sex and disability. And like, I lost my mind. Judith, Judy Human is like, if, you, if anyone who's listening doesn't know who she is, she's one of the pioneers of like disability justice. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. And I'm just yeah. on my fucking computer yeah. doing things. Like, what? <laughs> like, what? Anyway. No, but it's true. It's true. Like, again, like the work you do is so needed and so like just beautifully done and i'm just really grateful that you exist and that you're doing your thing and that i get to be a part of it well, in a small I'm, way and i'm glad that you just re- recognize that too what i'm i'm so blown away i'm like what but anyway <laughs> thank you so much for being on today i'm gonna have you back for something i'm sure um and i want to talk to you the minute i hit press stop so thank you so much for being here and we'll talk soon okay. Thank you. Bye. So that interview with Kayla was really long and really big and really important. And what I love about that interview and what you can hear through that interview is two people who work in disability and talk about sexuality who've never really met forming a friendship and forming a bond. And I think that's the most important part of this interview for me is that we talked about stuff in such a communal, fun, relaxed way that a real collegial friendship was born here and one that I'm really proud to start with Kayla, and I just love the way she talked about stuff, and I think she's such an important voice in our community that she's a disabled voice that I'm proud to to know and to have worked with on this, so I hope you enjoy the interview too. All right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing, you help support content made but made and for people with disabilities so I can't thank you enough and you can pledge whatever you can and as little as one dollar a month to make it as financially accessible as possible thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on disability after dark copyright notice disability after dark was presented created and produced by Andrew Gerza and crippled content creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.